Welcome everybody to another episode of the Your Mate Tom podcast. And just before I introduce my next guest, I just want to give a quick shout out to all you lovely patrons. Patrons? You guys supported me on Patreon. But seriously, from the bottom of my heart, I just want to express my gratitude to you guys because I could not continue doing what I do without you guys. Um, as some of you know, YouTube isn't so kind to creators such as myself. So I have to rely on platforms like Patreon. So if any of you guys want to get behind me and what I'm doing, want to see bigger, better content, want me to continue this podcast, then please go check out Patreon. That's definitely the best way to do it. You also get some really cool perks like monthly live streams, merch giveaways, uh, exclusive content, and you can also get a say in future videos. Like right now, I'm working on my first Mushroom Experience trip report because you guys... Uh, voted on it so I'm so excited to share that with you guys so it should release next week right now we're aiming to hit our first milestone which will just ensure the sustainability of this channel and that way I can make some cool videos that you guys have been waiting for for a long time like my girlfriend's first LSD trip live experience more documentaries trip simulations and other ambitious projects uh, but yeah, like I said, without you guys, none of this can happen. And yeah, as time goes on, videos just take longer and longer to make because I have to put more effort into it if I want to improve the quality. So eventually, I would like to hire some people to take off the workload. But yeah, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. But you know, those are like future goals and other cool stuff, which I don't want to talk about here. But yeah, go check it out if you do want to support this channel. Another way to support this podcast is to get merch. We've got a wide variety of psychedelic designs. 10% um, of the profits do go to MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. So it is for a good cause, and they look awesome, and they'll give you good vibes for your next trip. <laughs> and I do not condone the use of any drugs, of course, but if you are going to take substances... Fuck's sake, test your drugs and get one of these testing kits. Uh, links will be in the description box below. But that being said, guys, I'd like to introduce my next guest, James Jesso. He, who is a very highly intelligent, cool dude. And he's very good at articulating the psychedelic experience. He can definitely articulate a lot better than what I can. And he's a lot more knowledgeable when it comes to substances and, you know, a lot of people come to me for advice and wisdom when it comes to these things. But <laughs> this guy knows a fuckload more than what I do. So, go seriously, do yourself a favor. Go check him out. You know, he's the author of um, Decomposing the Shadows, Lesson from the Psilocybin Mushrooms, which is a great read. I'll leave a link in the description box below. And he's also the host for Adventures Through the Mind podcast, which is where I discovered uh, Julian Palmer, actually, who was my first guest on this channel, we went down a really deep rabbit hole in this one, which is what this podcast is all about. And we both had the opportunity to become open and vulnerable and talk about certain dark experiences that we've had with psychedelics and ways that we coped, among other things. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. You'll have to forgive me uh, the way I was in this podcast because this was very late at night. Like, we started at past midnight, so I was tired and delirious, and I was chewing coca leaf powder, which is why I had to cut my face out through certain parts of the podcast because it, it, I was just constantly fidgeting and it would have been very distracting. <laughs> so, note to self, don't chew coca leaf before a podcast. You know, you live and you learn. I just started this podcast, so give me, give me a break. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Enjoy.
Welcome everybody to the fourth episode of the Your Mate Tom podcast. I've got a special guest, James Jesso, who is the host of the Adventures Through the Mind podcast. Um, it was actually through you where I discovered Julian Palmer. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why, uh, that's how I found out about him and got into contact with him. So thank you for that. That was a very awesome first podcast. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was entertaining. Like we were just saying before, uh, before you started, before the camera started rolling, it was uh, pretty interesting to watch. Watch you guys start off that episode with a nice big, hape experience. Yeah, because he he offered. He's like, oh, do you want to have a hape before the podcast starts? I'm like, um, I'm not going to say no. Why not? Like it helped ground me, I suppose. So it was pretty good. It wasn't. I don't know because there's different like strains of harpe, and there's one that's like really purgative, I suppose, and then there's other ones that are more calming and grounding. I don't know. Have you had much experience with harpe? Uh, I've probably done it. Yeah, I've done it maybe somewhere between fifteen and thirty times. Okay. Uh, and I just recently did it again for the first time in a long while uh, at a party. And some friends were doing it. I was like, you know, they were sitting around the fire, like, did you want some hot pain? I'm like, yes, I do. But the reason why I had it had been so long is that the time before that was just before a Cambo experience in Berlin. And uh, he gave me, like, you know, administered it for me in, like, in both nostrils, a fairly large dose. Because to him, he was like, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't too strong. But it actually sent me... I, I was vomiting while shitting and then came back and sat down. I laughed because I've been there. And then had to go back and vomit again mm. before the cambo even started. So after that was done, I was like, okay, I'm happy. You know, I, I respect you. I respect you so much that I'm just going to steer clear of you for a little while. Do you want to, yeah. for those who don't know what hape is, do you want to quickly describe it? Oh, yeah. So hape is a, is a tobacco snuff. Essentially, it's um pulverized mapacho which is a wild strain of tobacco uh riba rustica i think uh, yeah. that grows in the uh in south america and central america uh, definitely south america i'm not sure about central uh and then the tobacco is mixed with the ash of a variety of different plants and then how much tobacco the tobacco to ash ratio and what plants are used in the ash determines the like what yeah. what it is, qualities it has, and et cetera. Yeah, awesome. Man. And it gets blown up your nose. <laughs> it's, it's not nice. Because another word <laughs> no. for it is rape, so it's rape with an accent on the E. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I guess I just wanted to start off, uh, and that's pretty cliche, but I think it's important to know the roots of why you do what you do. So I guess I just want to ask you, what stage did you start using psychedelics and why and how have they altered your perception of reality well i i had my first psychedelic experience with mushrooms when i was i think 15 or something ninth okay. grade uh and had several experiences after that all of which were purely recreational uh, not that i have any issue with recreational use but there was no conception of it being anything more than something stronger than weed that's really funny and um Tripping you Super Mario mug, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just tripping and fun. Uh, but I got serious, um, a little too serious, with my psychedelic use when I was in my early twenties. I had my first LSD experience at twenty-three, which was um, 
kind of launched me into uh, launched me into a very different way of relating to them. At which point, I started trying pretty much everything. Uh, actually, out in Melbourne, Australia. Where are you living, Tom? Melbourne. Okay, yeah, because so, I read in your book that you went to Melbourne. How long were you here for? Uh, I was there for about ten or eleven months. Oh, so yeah. quite a while. Or Melbourne or Melbourne. Melbourne, yeah. yeah. So were you here? Yeah. yeah, it's quite a crazy party scene. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you were <laughs> involved in that. I was very involved okay. in that, mostly mostly north of the city. I don't know if you ever went there. It's gone now, but we used to uh, po- the Pony Bar on Little Carlton Street. Was I never like went there, but uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Our mainstay, yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, I got pretty deep into it and got actually so deep into substance use that I ended up uh, developing a drug-induced psychosis, Fuck. which well, what was it me... from? Was it like from a specific drug, or was it? Like... I, I think it was from uh, basically never having anything to bring me down, mm. like propping me back into normal responsibilities, and excessive amphetamine use. Yeah, yeah. But there was also lots of acid in there, and lots of pills of all varieties. If I could get it, if I could afford it, I would take it. If it was offered to me, I would do it. Sure, Penis. fuck it. Go. Yeah. <laughs> what was the other one? Eckies or something? Yeah, Eckies. Like oh, love me, yeah. Eckies, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Pinging so for I, days, uh, mate. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I did lots of lots of stuff, and then yeah, the um, psychosis set in, and that kind of. The story is a long and beautiful one. I actually tell it quite. Uh, quite intimately in a talk that I gave at Ozora Festival in 2016 that's available on my website. But the ultimate is that, okay, it got really, really dark. Mm-hmm. And then I had an LSD experience that showed me like, whoa, I have a drug, I have a substance use problem. Mm-hmm. At the time, the language was I'm addicted to drugs. I know that that language now is very problematic. So I, I choose to use, I had a very problematic substance use issue. Yeah. Uh, and that, uh, that led me into all sorts of attempts to come to terms with why I was using and how to stop using. Mm. And I stopped using and I came home and although I had stopped using, I was still completely strange. (laughs) I was strange. I felt alienated. I felt, um, angry. I felt confused. I felt lost, helpless, hopeless, depressed, uh, anxious, just very, very unhappy, very sick and was on the verge of seeking professional help, which at the time I didn't trust professional help. Um, and I still wouldn't trust a lot of the mainstream professional help for psychiatry and psychology. Mm. Is this for any yeah. particular reason? Uh, or is this like I the over, that, because they tend to overprescribe unnecessary drugs or? Well, the over, the overprescribe is definitely one thing, mm-hmm. but, um, it has to do with a, I believe a lack of understanding as to the, Point of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Um, you maybe unpack that a little bit more yeah. uh, later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <clears throat> I didn't see. I almost sought professional help, but didn't trust, and ended up thinking that I could eat mushrooms to fix the the issues left over from my excessive yeah. uh, problem drug use. And it seemed to work out well. I I did um, about four grams once a month every month. At first, with a friend to yeah. sit with me, and then afterwards, increasingly more by myself. And at the end of 13 months, I had transformed my whole life and felt like I had this, 
passion to share what I learned. And so I started, um, I started doing workshops on my experience with it. I wrote my, uh, books. I wrote my first book, Decomposing the Shadow, which is about um, how I engaged the mushroom and why yeah. and how it helped That's me good. heal. That's one I read. Good yeah. Job, and then, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. And uh, also was just, <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure you could relate that with, with mushroom use, there's, if it's done in a good, healthy integration way, it tends to empower you to forego normal social conventions to engage your deepest dreams, regardless mm. of how radical be and uh choosing a independent somewhat independent crowdfunding isn't really independent but a independent author's life uh to yeah to write and to share and to travel and that evolved in and through a second book a third book multiple essays multiple speaking arrangements around the world um, and were you also, sorry to cut you off yeah. but were you always into writing and things like that yeah or, yeah 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 definitely i mean i was kind of like glazing over that last bit because there's lots of other content for me from me about that experience and mm -hmm. i'm sure there's way more interesting stuff we could talk about um but yeah i was always into writing and um did you ever have this experience when you're a kid where when you're really small and they say what do you want to be when you grow up and you say you know something along the lines of artist yeah. Right. Like you could do anything you want to be. You know, like I want to be a writer. Oh, you could achieve anything. I want to be a painter. Oh, you can do it. Yeah. And then you hit a certain age, and it's like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like I want to be a writer. Oh, okay, that's cute. Art is cute, but what are you going to do for a job? Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's like, yeah, how's so, that going to pay your bills? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's like here as and well. I Everyone guess... is very against the idea of like, if you want to get into art, it's like, oh, all right, but seriously, what are you going to do like for money? Yeah. yeah and it's it's. A, it's an extremely reasonable question because what are you going to do for money? Yeah. That's why I really appreciate things like crowdfunding helped me like Indiegogo helped me get my books together and do all my tours and stuff. And it's, I've basically been like crowdfund yeah. and then slowly book sales to, 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 to crowdfund. That's uh, amazing. And then back up again. Yeah. It's good to know that like uh, enough people believe in what you want to do that allows you yeah. to actually do it. It's awesome. Like we live in crazy times that like we couldn't do this kind of stuff. Or we could, but it would just be that much more difficult, like, you know, 20, 30 years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, now, and I know that you're also on this tip, the the introduction of Patreon into the arts, like the larger worldwide arts community mm -hmm. is making a huge difference because now instead of spending, um, you know, spending six months stressing my brain out trying to run a crowdfunding, mm -hmm. prepping a crowdfunding campaign to then have to release it in a certain time for one big project and then just yeah that i can work towards just doing things like the podcast and like uh smaller writing pieces and in the youtube channel and have people be like yeah i'll give you i'll give you what i can every month like i know that you recently started a patreon as well so it makes a huge difference we could live our creative passions 100%. And offer things onto the world that people find value in, and allow them to reciprocate that value in a way that uh, funds us to continue creating. I think it's great. Actually, I want to ask you because, because I know you can relate because you also, you know, have a, you make videos and you're publicly speaking about these uh, heavily stigmatized substances. How did you go about um, just putting your face out there? How did your family react? Because I know for me, it was like very. Very difficult, yeah, for sure. Um, 
because my family is very against illegal drugs unless it's alcohol and prescribed medications I suppose but it is not easy to talk about something and it's so illegal that's the thing as well and um, as soon as you start talking about psychedelics most people just kind of roll their eyes or they think you're nuts or whatever um, but yeah I just want to ask you like how did you deal with that um, well, did you get did you get like a crazy reaction from your family or were they pretty accepting or uh, well, in, in what you said there, there's a lot to unpack, like the, um, the, the dysfunctional, uh, like paradigm around, you know, what's a drug, mm. what's a good drug, what's a bad drug, what's a food, what's a spice, what's a supplement, you know, like there's, it's, it's all very, uh, it's, it's poorly, it's poorly categorized as it stands now. Um, and, uh, <laughs> then there's the illegality thing and mm -hmm. then there's the parents thing. So my mom and dad, my dad was a little bit more receptive. He's had his experiences growing up, but my mom has been very like, um, very hands off to substances throughout her entire life. And, uh, you know, feels very accomplished in that. And mm. that's fine. But that proved to be a bit of a challenge, uh, between the two of us, uh, because she saw sort of that conventional mind, you know, where, cannabis and heroin are the same pretty much they might as well be the same you mm -hmm. know if one person's using cannabis if i'm if i'm using cannabis which they caught me in 10th grade then there's a very real chance that i might also be injecting heroin mm. so like that was the paradigm she was coming from so yeah. uh it was one thing to slowly talk to my mom about it more and more and my mom and dad but they were, made them very anxious but I remember actually, this this was huge. I can imagine you can just like feel into this. So they're, my mother's very uncomfortable with the whole thing. And uh, I have to have this phone call with her. I'm living in Alberta at the time. She's in Ontario. And I got to okay. call her up and let her know, Mom, uh, here's the story. While I was in Australia, I had a serious drug use problem. And um, it was really problematic. And the only reason I'm healthy now is because I used psilocybin mushrooms to get there. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that it's my path and purpose in this life to share that story and what I learned from it with the wider audience. And in 48 hours, I'm launching a crowdfunding campaign with a big video that's going to tell my story very openly, hopefully to thousands of people, including everyone that you know. Mm-hmm. So that was like, it was like a pretty uh, challenging hour long conversation on the phone. But over yeah. time, over time, just my mother and father, although sometimes it frightened them and understandably so, sometimes I do some stuff that's pretty extreme um, and I am their son after all, they have learned to trust me and in learning to trust me, they have opened themselves up to uh, learning what I know. Like, like appreciating what I offer around substances as being a valid perspective, which has really broken their, their old paradigm in a lot of ways. It's just yeah. absolutely in, incredible, actually, to, um, to go from not being able to say anything at all in fear of, you know, like a huge issue emerging to being able to, uh, like the other night, we were all watching a movie and something about a time capsule was like, oh, I did a time capsule a little while ago, you know, like me and two other friends, we took LSD and then we like 
you know, finished up the time capsule and buried it and then smoked DMT and marked the <laughs> GPS coordinates. And then, uh, you know, and that being like, hmm. And my mom not really saying much, but being like, huh. And my dad being like, DMT, is that that ayahuasca stuff? And I was like, yeah, similar. Nice. <laughs> you know, Close so, enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so awesome. it's, it's come a long way. Uh, from other people, I mean, I, maybe I'm just preaching to the choir, but I've gotten a lot of positive reviews. Only one person ever gave me uh, the sounds to me like you're just looking a way to validate your drug use. Mm. And actually, yeah, you're always, always going to get that. Yeah, yeah. But it's true. Um, it some, is actually yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. technically. And, here, and, and, and here's all my reasons. They're outlined in this, you know, 120 page essay. Yeah. You know, please give it a read. So apart from that, do you get any hate or any like, you know, like really serious trolls? Uh, on our psychonaut, yeah. I don't post it anymore. I mean, the internet is a place to troll for sure, but in public, in face-to-face personage, no, not over my work. I get a lot of positive stuff. I've had some really great critical feedback that yeah. was delivered in a really arrogant way, um, but uh, but no, no, it's actually it's actually gone. Uh, it's actually mm. gone fairly. Well, yeah, because online it's so easy to just criticize someone, especially behind a keyboard where you can't even see your face. So, mm-hmm. and like, and there's a difference between uh, criticism, like constructive criticism, and just someone saying, "Oh, you're a faggot. Fuck you. You're a dickhead," or junkie, right, or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. you know, I did a, a short documentary on coca plant where me and my girlfriend just, um, yeah, we're just taking coca and just educating it educating the public on it while we're taking it and then what was it someone's like oh you and your girlfriend are junkies and this is like <laughs> from a coca plant like this is not even a it's like a mild stimulant you know what i mean but anyway doesn't matter also highly <laughs> nutritious one of the most nutritionally <laughs> dense foods on the planet like ridiculously high in calcium like really good for your teeth and gums and stuff yeah, yeah. it's awesome <laughs> i really enjoyed it um, yeah, i also really enjoy coca but yeah. a point to be said, I really don't enjoy cocaine. Neither yeah. do I. I have, tr- I have tried it, and um, as much as it's nice to feel like I am the most awesome person in the world, fuck yeah, for five or six minutes, um, the payback is really not worth it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not worth it, calm down. And yeah. for example, here in Australia, coke, I think it's the most overrated drug in the world, here in Australia especially, because it's like 350 bucks. Oh, it's crazy expensive out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I've yeah. had it once here, and my mate's like, oh, this is the best thing ever. And I had it, I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Because I had it, I had it in Chile. I should, well, I hope my family doesn't listen to this, but they probably won't. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, I've never well, done cocaine you know, in my life. Too, because cocaine is one of those drugs that even, okay, even if you could find some, recre- like, there's obviously recreational value in, yeah. in cocaine. Can, for sure. For people who like it, it's fun there's a price to be paid for it. And if a person can utilize cocaine, be prepared to pay the price, not like financially, but as well as emotionally and socially, um, afterwards the come down because cocaine will turn you in the, into an asshole no matter what. The more cocaine you do for the longer, the bigger the asshole you're going to be. And if you plan that and make sure that you're alone during that asshole time, mm-hmm. okay, that's responsible use. And it does, if it doesn't, you know, permeate your whole life and take you down, that's fine. But that's if you're assuming that you have cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine, just like uh, ketamine, for example, uh, especially out here, 
there's very little guarantee that you're just getting cocaine. Cocaine's probably the worst. You're likely getting weird heart dewormer stuff and oh, yeah. other things. Especially are... here in Australia, where it's probably the last country where it even gets to, 100%. And um, mm. yeah, I agree. Like, I just don't find it. I did it a couple times. This was my party phase. Not that I have to justify myself, but <laughs> I just don't find it worth it. And it's not, I think it's very like spiritually damaging in the sense that it just, mm-hmm. it, from what I've observed anyway, it just completely overinflates your ego. And people just think they just get too, too crazy with it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people need that. There's a lot, I'd like to think that the substances that we find ourselves to are influenced by our own inadequacies as well as our own abundances Mm -hmm. so a lot of people i think a lot of people feel powerless or worthless they they feel they feel feelings of being less Mm. and taking cocaine makes them feel more so much more than they're less that it's almost like it cancels out the less now it obviously isn't gonna I agree with what you're saying about the the spiritual thing, but at the same time, and like, I'm a little hesitant to I'm a little hesitant to lean purely negative on any drug. Although I consider cocaine yeah, to be quite dangerous. Like I'm generally yeah. speaking, of course, but it depends on your personality. Like I don't know about you, but I have a very addictive, extreme personality. So those kind of substance use is not good for me, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure a lot of other people. But yeah, it just depends if if you can have it once, have a good experience, maybe learn from it, and then just leave it without ever having to crave that, then cool, awesome. Mm-hmm. But, but I think that what you just described makes the difference between somebody who's just trying out a substance mm-hmm. to see what it's like and being like, that was an experience, and somebody who has some sort of underlying inadequacy or trauma or, or like a neurotic issue that mm. is finding uh, the solution mm. in cocaine. Yeah, it's not a good solution in any way. It's a terrible solution. Cocaine is a terrible solution, um, but it is a solution to an underlying problem. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, mm-hmm. I guess with your journey of you know doing your podcasts and writing books and stuff, have you ever gone to a stage where you've kind of questioned psychedelics and gone to a point like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I don't know, because for me, I've had like this year I had a very very terrifying ayahuasca experience where I had like a full-blown psychotic break I thought I was going to die I've had trips where I thought I was going to die but this was on a whole other level like this was I had to get facilitators to like hold me down just because I was went way too deep and I never thought that could ever happen to me and it was terrifying and it made me I left that experience kind of questioning this you like ayahuasca and psychedelics and I was like what the fuck and I'm like teaching people what happened if I I don't know someone watches my video and then they do it and then they have a bad experience. Of course, this is just my emotional set at the moment. I'm a lot more grounded after that and I've processed most of it. I'm still healing from that experience because it was just really full on. But I, yeah, I just want to ask you, have you ever experienced something similar in terms of just questioning psychedelics at all or like being oh, so yeah, traumatized? You know what I mean? Yeah, so <laughs> actually multiple times I feel like... Um, I feel like if we aren't questioning psychedelics, then there's a problem. Mm. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people who feel 100% certain that they know what's going on and what it's all about, like very certain. And I applaud that type of confidence, but it reminds me of, and I'm going to quote a, a sci-fi or a horror fantasy book right now, um, 
but it reminds me of a line in Weave World by Clive Barker, which is something along the lines of um, anything that becomes too confident becomes a sort of lie. Mm. So I, I, I do question it, and I've had experiences, especially with ayahuasca, that leave me like, what the hell am I doing here? Mm. Ayahuasca is really great medicine for causing me to enter um, extreme psychotic episodes that leave me reeling for months and even years of pain and suffering and trauma. It's a great medicine for that. Really? It also yeah. helped me resolve a lot of that. But, um, but yeah, there's, I, I think it's completely uh, naive to think that these things are benevolent spirit healers exclusively and that people mm. are, you know, going to positively benefit their life by engaging them and that as long as you take all the proper precautions everything's going to be fine it's like no you're rolling the dice you're yeah. rolling the dice with your mind and a lot of the time if the proper nuances are established you're gonna you're likely gonna win mm-hmm. and it's gonna be it's gonna be good but there's no guarantee that you're gonna win it's still the roll of the dice and uh actually uh, uh someone who i'll have on my show i think uh the following episode from the one that released the day today, which is the day we're recording this, I don't know when you're releasing your show, um, is going to be with James Kent, who his uh, he's been releasing this series of uh, episodes called the last ten episodes of Dose Nation, where he explores what he calls like the dark side of psychedelic culture, where he mm-hmm. talks about the reality of psychotic breaks and suicides and addiction, and um, and even like yeah, just really dark stuff that we that we're not choosing to talk about mm. yeah yeah because it's, ve- it's, it's very easy it's to fun. brush off those really dark psychotic episodes and what you know some worst case scenarios some people do take their own life and it's very mm-hmm. easy to be like oh yeah yeah but that's so rare and it never happens and blah 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 blah. but it's so easy to detach yourself from that but once you're in that experience it's so fucked up and dark and like wow I sh- this is not something to be fucked with or taken lightly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. he uh, he actually has a really great episode of that series specifically about ayahuasca. I think it's a I won't I won't really outline it here because I th- I think it's a great episode for you to check out and yeah, for your definitely, listeners. Definitely check it out. But yeah. uh, I think it's called Episode Six: The Master, um, and talks about guru worship and ayahuasca and makes a pretty interesting series of points around um, around the problems in ayahuasca um, and the, and what I'll call the fetishization the, the fetishizing Jesus the ayahuasca fetish of um, the current psychedelic culture okay like loving uh, mother ayahuasca and that kind of culture yeah yeah and and I, I have no problems with people latching on to whatever metaphysical or no. religious belief structure just al- words that allows the the them day. to integrate it <laughs> yeah. into their lives um but then having that create um, justification for dissociating, denouncing, or or even attacking any question of ayahuasca's validity mm. or the of psychedelics validity. Well, I was um, I was like that too because when I first got into, well, especially after my first ayahuasca ceremony over two years ago, which is when I started the channel, I had this very um, it's very common. I'm sure we've all been there that psychedelic warrior mentality of like, everyone should have mm-hmm. psychedelics. It would save, it would solve all the, the world's problems, blah, blah, blah. You have depression, take mushrooms. That's what you need and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's just very easy to fall into that trap. So I completely relate and I don't judge people who do, you know, do the same thing and like, Oh, you know, you should definitely take ayahuasca or do this. 
and they push the psychedelic agenda a bit too much. Mm-hmm. The psychedelic agenda, it's funny too because it, it's not a hard and fast rule, but I can typically assess how often people, how, how long and how much psychedelic, how long in their, Jesus Christ, where are my words? How many psychedelics they've taken over what length of time and to what commitment by how evangelicist they are about it. Because mm. most of the people who have taken a lot over a long time um, and haven't gotten wrapped up in a religious cult of some type yeah. are likely to are likely to be on the back foot about it. Yeah, not to be like ooh, you know, front leaning front foot. Well, forward, yeah, because like, when you first get into it, it's very easy. It, you know, a lot of the time, at least from my own experience, my first few experiences have always been very loving, and and it felt these substances felt very benevolent and amazing. But then when you go deeper and deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole, it just it can get darker, also lighter, because it's a spiral mm-hmm. um, from my own experience. But And then, it, you know, you'd have a really bad trip and you'd be like, oh, fuck, that's, you know, you can't imagine it getting worse than that. And then till you... But it can. One, oh, it, it can, can and it, it will. Can. <laughs> it can and it will, 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another thing that's interesting is, um, is being public about <clears throat> criticisms around, uh, especially around ayahuasca. Because I wrote this article a few years back, and I was I was in a I was in a tear trying to make sense of my experience and the and the the article the story, um, it really helped me bring it together. Mm-hmm. It's called Ayahuasca and I, and it describes my first ayahuasca experience, which was a psychotic break where I basically like left the circle and and completely, you know, uh, resisted going back, and they just left me alone, which I think was actually pretty fucked up. But they just left me alone. And I even like yeah. at one point after leaving, I felt like the only thing I could do is I, I needed to break the spell of the ayahuasca. So I needed to go up back into the ceremony room to even though I was 100 percent confident that ayahuasca was a parasitic plant consciousness. And the shaman was her like warrior agent that was sent there to crack open each of us to feed off our pain and pleasure and steal mm. our life or this you know, this other dimensional parasitic entity that I needed to go back up into the ceremony room and sit at the foot of the shaman and tell him that I was leaving and I wasn't coming back because I didn't believe. <laughs> like, it was intense. But I, I told this story. Uh, Wait, when did this happen? People, this is in 2013. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, people started coming out of the woodwork like crazy, messaging me, being thanking me for the article and telling me experiences they had where they had psychotic episodes and they were getting basically like attacked online and told that they're that's bullshit, blah, blah, blah. It's their fault that they were suffering, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you didn't have a good shaman or, oh, you didn't trust the mother ayahuasca, whatever. And even um, one person messaging me and telling me that they had a full psychotic break in a retreat center in Peru and they kicked them out. Because they couldn't handle it, he was obviously possessed by demons, and he was trying to kill the sh- he was trying to kill the shaman spiritually, um, and threatened everyone there. So they just kicked him out. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting to see how people will fervently defend their religious ideologies mm-hmm. and the culture is. And I don't have any problem with religion, that's like or religious beliefs. That's fine, but it's interesting how fervently people will protect them when they're threatened, even in the psychedelic culture, that psychedelics don't necessarily make you a more generous, more open-minded, more compassionate, rational, mm, reasonable not person. Not necessarily. 
Yeah, and, and yeah, because it's sort of ironic because uh, you, you would assume that the psychedelic culture is supposed to be like, well, psychedelics are supposed to like kill your ego or whatever, but sometimes mm-hmm. they can just grow it and make it stronger. The ego is very sneaky and it can use spiritual yeah. practices to strengthen itself if you're not careful. Spiritual bypassing, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's, it's one of the terms, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, I put a, I'll let everyone know on Instagram that I was going to interview you. So I did get a few questions and a few people, as I was going to ask you anyway, but how have you overcome the, the very challenging, traumatic, psychedelic experiences? Because I know this is something that a lot of people struggle with because it can be so full on. And then after this, because I've had a, a few myself and you feel very isolated and alone in a sense because not many people can understand what you went through. So like how have you, like what tools have you used or what have you done to able to overcome and heal from these experiences? Uh, well, that's a pretty, that's a pretty long answer question, but I'll try to, I'll try to simplify it. We've got plenty of time. (laughs) Okay. Well, the first thing is, is to keep in mind that, uh, that dark, challenging psychedelic experience to look at it, uh, as the equivalent of a trauma because it is. Mm -hmm. So thinking of it in the same way as if you were in a serious car accident or happen to watch somebody, you know, like get hit by a car or happen to um, some sort of something that's really extreme and traumatic and keeping in mind that it's not just, oh, you know, you just had a bad trip, you got to get over it. it. This is, it's a trauma. And if you're not careful, that trauma can become post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, depending on, depending on a, a lot of um, factors, including uh, your social environment and how you engage yourself and, um, you know, lifestyle, diet, habitat, etc. So recognizing that it's a trauma and, and being easy with yourself right off the bat. Yeah. Finding And finding someone to talk to, uh, especially someone that you trust and someone that trusts you and somebody who is not going to try to minimize what you're going through. This is actually something that I've, I've, I'm going to go public with it soon, but I've been offering privately to people is like um, is having because I I definitely understand having somebody to talk to who really understands what you're going through and can give good advice on basically being easy with yourself and how to move forward with finding because sometimes you just need someone to talk to you yeah and uh, have yeah. someone listen hold space for you and other times you need if it gets really extreme you you need to have actual psychotherapeutic help mm-hmm. and. Um, trauma-based psychotherapy, especially ones that are somatic, so like somatic experiencing or relational somatic therapy. I, uh, for my, I had post-traumatic stress disorder. What really helped me was a, a practice called EMDR, which I cannot remember what that acronym stands for right now, uh, with somatic experiencing to sort of prep me to be able to go back in. And when talking about it, and this is kind of scattered, uh, when talking about it, uh, not not resisting what comes up. Yeah. So chances are, what's going to happen is if if it's trauma, all the feelings that are left over from that dark experience, all the things that were so extreme at the time, we understandably employ different defense mechanisms to protect ourselves from, to offset some of that emotional intensity. Well, that emotional intensity is still there and it's lingering. That's why we're all like kind of contorted about it. 
then when we start talking about it, we're inviting that emotional intensity back into our back into our space. And in order for us to really heal, we need to resolve that emotional intensity. And the only way to do that is to allow it to metabolize through the direct feeling sensations. So that is to say, like, to actually let it happen. Yeah. But because it coming up was so frightening, of course, it coming up again is going to be equally as frightening. And it's very easy to push it away yeah. and employ similar mechanisms. And in doing so, almost feed in to what I like to call a trauma vortex. Mm. And it gets stronger and stronger. Now, possibly over time, you just get over, you think you just get over it. But it'll start to permeate other areas of your life that are unrelated yeah. to psychedelic experience. And okay. it's good. So like to, unconsciously coming out in different ways, yeah. Right, right. Like more likely to have anxiety around work or more likely to feel depressed when you're alone. Like things mm. that don't seem to be directly related, but are actually um, like, like the trauma's poking little holes in your life. Um, and it doesn't look like you don't realize where the light source is. And yeah. the light source could be this dark, traumatic experience, be it psychedelics or be it something that the psychedelics exposed that you weren't able to properly deal with. Yeah. Um, so the feeling is important, but because it's so intense, it's easy to employ the defense mechanisms and, and blah, 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 you know, feed in the trauma vortex. So this is why having someone to talk with is really important, someone who can listen, and that when it comes up, and that emotional intensity comes up, having someone there with you, someone who isn't trying to fix you, who isn't trying to minimize, is just there with you, lovingly, compassionately yeah. holding space for yeah. you, even physically holding you, because now, although it's very intense, and you might not feel safe inside of yourself, if you can feel safe in the connection, feel that that person has your safety in mind, that they care for you, that they're with you, well, then that giant emotional load that's too heavy to hold on your own is now being shared with mm. multiple people can be a little bit easier to deal with. And then comes the cries, the tears, the, the shaking, the whatever. Mm. And all of that, just trusting it, letting it move you, letting it move through you and letting yourself be held in safety, either, you know, just by someone like, like I said, listening while you go through the process and feel into it or even as intense as having them hold you while you just break down and sob mm. and or, or wail. Um, and then having them there to continue to be with you as you just naturally will find yourself back into a place of stability. Now, I know that sounds really super intense, and depending on how intense the dark experience is, that's how intense it might be for you to process it. That's what it was like for me. Mm -hmm. And it actually took going to a five-day trauma healing specific retreat that utilized ayahuasca okay. which i know seems like strange but utilize ayahuasca to basically put us back into the dark place really? put us back in all of it and then hold us while it happened wait Literally. so you so you took ayahuasca relived all that traumatic dark shit and then they were just yeah. there to hold space and hold you I suppose. literally wow. literally hold me wow and then also lots of integration lots yeah. of integration like, has that ever gone wrong for anybody in this workshop uh, not as far as i know okay in fact uh there are multiple because we all like stayed in contact after there are multiple people who did not kill nice. themselves because okay. of that workshop or wow. that retreat so, yeah anyways i'm not oh. trying to promote ayahuasca here but it's 
it can, oh, it can yeah. be challenging. The biggest thing I'd say is to like just be easy on yourself, find someone to talk to, and support. trust that if you can create a sense of being safe, either within yourself or within the connection with another person or a group of people, yeah. um, the body's natural healing intelligence will take over. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't agree with it, you more, it, though, in terms of talking to somebody, especially someone who who's kind of been there themselves. And it doesn't necessarily have to be through a psychedelic-related trauma, but just someone who knows what you're talking about, where you've been, mm, is really mm-hmm. important. Because then it gives you that hope of like, oh, well, this guy got through it and he seems good. So it gives you that drive to kind of keep going. Because, um, yeah, I can relate to a lot what you were saying because I had a very traumatic experience where it triggered this very intense existential crisis and i would be getting like waves of existential depression despair and just all all hope was lost for me and that is a very dark place to be when you just don't yeah (laughs) when you just lose hope especially when i started this channel and i was so inspired and it just i don't know i had so much hope and drive and inspiration and then this just completely took it away from me and then instead of dealing with it and I tried to but it was just so intense that I just couldn't sit there and deal with it where I would just have to call a friend or have to hang out with someone or smoke weed or just whatever I can to escape this feeling which is one of the reasons why I went to I'll talk to you uh, recently I went to Southeast Asia just to have time for myself just to have a break from everything Mm and have therapy and talk to a coach get me through it and I'm not going to say I'm 100% over it but fucking dramatically feeling much 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 better for sure the waves come a lot less intense and a lot less frequent they do they still come sometimes but yes i know what you mean about how traumatic and fucked up it is and it is even that point of like um you said that some of the people didn't end up killing themselves which is good and even that thought was like I don't know, you know, when you found that everything's infinite or meaningless or whatever, that's what the state that I was in, but it's like, um, I was like, what's the fucking point of killing myself? I'm just going to come back and live this infinite amount of time. That's what I felt anyway. So that was, yeah, pretty, pretty tough, pretty dark. Wow, that's pretty dark to be in such despair over the meaninglessness of existence <laughs> yeah. and knowing that it's so meaningless that even killing yourself is meaningless and so that doesn't even matter no. and so there's no skin like that is that is some exactly. serious graphian uh <laughs> you know second <laughs> second matrix kind of stuff exactly and i'm like how do i deal with it because i like i've learned so much to, like i know so many tips and tricks to overcome depression and stuff like that changing your state doing exercise eating healthy but this was like a level of consciousness this was like a philosophy problem it didn't matter what I did and I was exercising I was eating healthy and all that for sure but this was like how can I I don't know like resolve that I just couldn't get over that especially it's more because I was living through I was tapped into all the pain and suffering of humanity like you know when you're stuck I don't know you've been in the void outside of time and you just live all that anguish and pain and suffering I'm like I couldn't find the justification for it especially because it's like, oh, it's all meaningless. And I'm like, what's the point of all this kind of stuff? So, yeah, it's pretty, it can be pretty tough. And, um, yeah, but definitely getting much better. I don't want to get too doom and gloomy, but sometimes it's good to talk about it because I know that a lot of people feel kind of solace. It's like, oh, well, I'm not the only one going through this, which is good. Because, like, you were pointing back to what you were saying before, it's good to talk to someone and get the support. And, yeah, 
a lot I think a lot of people have gone through those dark places and it's very hard to integrate that especially with the stigmatization against psychedelics and yeah but anyways man I much I'm feeling much better for sure um I think that talking that's the key I think what you just said before talking to someone especially who's gone through it before and getting support and not it sounds really hippie but I think it goes back to love <laughs> getting as much love and joy into your life as much as possible mm-hmm. yeah that and um and I'm glad you're I'm glad you're feeling better Tom uh, <laughs> thank you the love and the love and joy is important but love and joy depending on how you use it I don't see love and joy as being um necessarily coupled all the time no sometimes love and despair are the I same feel love love transcends duality whereas joy is a part of it in a sense I don't it's know. like on the high the quote-unquote higher feelings exactly uh, yeah. <laughs> i i also i believe that um of course when there's trauma and when there's suffering and when there's the type of despair that you're talking about we want to be free of it yeah. and understand so why would we want to live this one chance we have to be the you know the identity we've established suffering Mm. seems unfortunate you know? yeah um, and obviously if we could change that we'd want to and at the same time i believe that those dark experiences are a gift um, because they come with very profound lessons yeah. and they are it's very difficult to see them as a gift and as and as a teacher especially when they feel like a poison mm. and they are a poisoning uh, and especially if, when it happens at the time and it's so soon, you know, yeah, yeah. and that poison can kill you. It really can. Yeah. It can also make you stronger. And by stronger, I mean, um, more resilient yeah. over time and trust, trusting in those, trusting in the dark process, not to bring you to light, yeah. but to educate you and to mm. deepen experience of what it means to be human and alive. And it's not always, you know, it's it's not like we're crying to get the the, the tears of joy. We're not crying the sadness so we can get to the joy. We're crying the sadness to feel the sadness, yeah. to let the sadness in, to let the sadness out, and that's not actually, for yeah. the joy, but for the sadness. Yeah, it's what you're saying. It's, it's key what you're saying actually, and what has helped me tremendously is actually just feeling it. It's not not feeling it because oh, if I feel this negative feeling, then I'm going to feel good afterwards. Like no, you just got to get, just feel it through. Be as comfortable as you can with it. Even if it feels uncomfortable, that's okay as well. Like, it's okay to be shitty. It's okay to feel suffering and pain. It's part of being human. But like you Mm -hmm. said, there's a lot of profound lessons if you look for it. And it can be difficult sometimes. Like, it's taken me... Especially if you're alone. Yeah, especially if you're alone. Exactly. Which is why it's so key to seek for help because so many people uh, suffer in silence. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isolation does not help when you're like in that much pain. Mm -hmm. And you had said like, you don't want it to be all doom and gloomy. And I completely understand that because people probably tune into your podcast. I've seen your like, your, your mannerisms and your general tone is like, it's very inviting. It's very like, hooray. (laughs) And and yet, (laughs) like you said, these types of conversations are important because there's this over prioritization of, Hey, it's all about happiness and comfort and entertainment and this and that and it's like the reality is like that's less than half of the human experience yeah you know yeah. and when that's the only thing that's available 
it becomes alienating to the people who aren't there because yeah. they can't feel it. They can't get there, so they feel alienated or they feel resentful mm. or whatever it is, or self-hatred, etc. But um, if we, the stigma around mental illness and darkness, I think, is one that is more damaging than the darkness itself. And I, I appreciate that you've invited us to go here because I think that these are the things that we need to be openly talking about, which is why I, I openly talk about yeah. it on the regular. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that same. Like it, it can make me feel uncomfortable, maybe opening up with that kind of stuff. But I never hesitate to do it, because um, yeah, there's this too, too much stigmatization against, like you said, negativity and mental illness, especially. Like it's just funny. Like you know, like if you go to school and you break an arm, you wear a cast, and everyone starts signing your arm, like no big deal. But then if you've got depression, get soon. yeah. But then if you get depression or anxiety or some mental illness, then everyone's like, kind of, well, oh, stay away from that guy. You know, when it's the same thing, like instead of breaking your arm, you've just, your operating system's just faulty for the meanwhile, mm -hmm. you know, and it's very important to get uh, support. And yeah, like depression is very close to my heart for sure. So I've, I'm very, that's actually one of my main uh, motivations for starting this channel to begin with. It wasn't even psychedelics per se. I think that's the uh, the theme of my channel, but it's, it's always been about uh, like mental illness and personal growth and just helping people with those kind of experiences oh man totally the same for me it's like the psych the psychedelics <laughs> is more like the packaging yeah it's the brand really exactly. exciting exactly. yeah it's but when you brand. when you start dialing in it's like even the psychedelic experience isn't about the psychedelic experience no, no exactly um that's cool man i appreciate you going there as well um but i want to talk about your last trip in mexico Oh, yeah. yeah. So for those who uh, don't know, James went to Mexico with Julian Palmer, Colindy, and who uh, was the doctor? Dr. Jerry. Dr. Jerry. Dr. Jerry. Yeah. Exactly. He's the author of the, of the God, no, the, yeah, the God Molecule. Yeah. <sighs> nice. It's about 5-MODMT. Yeah. Okay. So I want to, because I've always, I went to Mexico actually earlier this year. My original intention was to, okay, I'm going to, I want to do a mushroom ceremony um, but I went in January, so it was out of season, but th this was after my ayahuasca experience. So I'm like, yeah, I'm not taking mushrooms. Definitely not. I'm going to go to Mexico yeah. and do the opposite of my original intention and actually have fun with my girlfriend, <laughs> go to the beach and just do nothing to do with healing or because I went to, because sometimes it's a paradox. And if you go too far with always in healing mode, then, you know, it's it you're it's always a, in sickness mode. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. And yeah, it's important to have fun as well, but it's a balance. Um, but yeah, I've always specifically been interested in mushrooms. This is a substance that's the ones that resonates with me the most. And I actually had an ayahuasca vision that told me like, you need to go to Mexico. And I had like these mush these visions that I was taking mushrooms in Mexico and stuff like that. And then in the ceremony, it was actually a Mexican lady who was like really into that. And then she hooked me up with her contacts in Mexico. But anyways, I didn't end up doing it, but I was always very interested in the shamanic use of mushrooms, which I've never uh, experienced myself. I've only done the, I guess, well, I've done recreational, but the, the Terence McKenna uh, way, the five grams in silent darkness. Um, have you done... Well, Terence, Ter Ter just as a point, yeah. this is often not talked about, Terence McKenna's very suggestion is the one that kept him from doing the mushrooms the rest of his life because he was traumatized by his five grams in silent darkness. So yep. that's like a point to consider for the listeners. It's 
it's not it's not him that's left promoting this. It's other people isolating yeah. aspects of his work outside of the larger yeah. context that are promoting yeah. it. Well, and just before you talk, go into your experience, yeah. I um, agree as well. Like with the five grams in Silent Darkness, I am never actually going to do that again. <laughs> it's like just <laughs> no, for real. Like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not fundamentally against it, but I have just been to very extremely terrifying states that I would never, ever, ever do a huge dose like that by myself at night. Like, if I was to ever do mushrooms again, it would actually be in Mexico. Well, it doesn't even necessarily have to be Mexico, but I would like to do it in more of a shamanic context, if it feels right, of course. But um, anyways, <laughs> how was your experience? And how did you... Well, how did you... Comp- how was the experience different to the, you know, the five grams alone? Well, uh, I hate to, I hate to burst your bubble a little bit, but <laughs> I didn't, I didn't meet any mushroom shamans okay. in Mexico. They're, they're probably there, mm-hmm. but what I experienced, uh, and I, I'm sure that you could probably find some, but what I experienced was that you get the mushrooms from because uh, it's it's a very matriarchal culture that I went to. Okay. You get the mushrooms from the we'll say shamanista for the lack of better terminology, the curandera, and we ate them together, just oh. in a cabin. Nice. And there was no there was no official shamanism going on here. There was no facilitator. We all just were together, and we were all on our own independent experiences, interacting with each other. I mean, we had some. Uh, Jerry had some extremely um, potent, we'll say, like medicine ceremony music playing, uh, which sometimes was very nice and other times was very, very challenging. Some <clears> of <throat> it was like Maria, Maria Sabina singing. Anyways, wow. uh, <clears throat> there wasn't like going to, going to Peru. It's like there's a whole cultural hierarchy around yeah. how to use ayahuasca. Well, that wasn't there with the mushrooms. It felt like nice. the the experience was being, and this is something Julian had mentioned. And when he mentioned it, it really landed for me. Like it wasn't my first insight. It was his insight that like landed very, very strongly, which is that it felt like it was being curated by the mountain itself. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so it was very strong, um, stronger. What was the the dose? Did you know? Uh, well, if you, so like I said, just today I released the, the episode of the, the four of us all talking yeah. afterwards. And I'll, I'll link it in the show, show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the, on that page, there's pictures and, um, of us there. And one of the pictures is how they dose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I can't remember her name, which I know is actually disrespectful because the name and the story is a really important part of honoring lineage. But, um, the woman who provided the mushrooms, she would select what is one dose like she'd select, like trust it, and it would get wrapped in this leaf that kind of works as a little like uh, um, jungle jungle that's refrigerator or something. I saw the pictures that you posted. Okay, that's that's what that yeah. leaf was. Okay. So uh, I'd say that it was a little handful of wet mushrooms. Now, to me, that was the strongest psychedelic experience on mushrooms I've had, possibly ever. Actually, yeah. what's the highest dose um, you've had? Before. I've had seven grams, but the number of grams does not necessarily denote no. how strong it is. Well, yeah, because right? the potency because of mushrooms I, varies so much, yeah. Right, and I've, I've had two grams of a strain called penis envy, 
that completely obliterated me well beyond the seven gram experience. So even saying seven grams sounds really intense, it's not. Or it wasn't. Yes, it was. But it wasn't like, (laughs) it wasn't as extreme. As much as you think. Yeah. Right? So this was definitely the strongest experience I had. Um, I was going to have two leaves. But kind of similar to yourself, it occurred to me, like, what am I here to prove? Like, I only wanted one leaf, but I grabbed two because everyone else is grabbing two. Kalindi ate four. You know, so it's like, I'm like, why? Am, what am I trying to prove here to myself? Last Trust thing Kalindi I want to do for, right? <laughs> I I feel healthy for the first time in like two and a half years because I've resolved this trauma. The last fucking thing I want is another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I uh, I chose just to eat one of the two that I had, and I feel like that was a really good decision because it actually got very very dark for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And okay, so without sharing too much about it. There was a few, and I, you know, it's funny because I didn't think I'd share this publicly, but I'm going to share it, Tom, with you and, uh, and with your listeners. Well, I did a storytelling event. <laughs> yeah, I did a storytelling event about it. I was going to record it, and I was like, no, I'm not going to record this. It's only for the people that showed up. Yeah. And uh, so there was there was three main uh, revelations, I guess, for me. <clears throat> and uh, the first one actually was about death and dying because I've really the trauma that I had was when I nearly died in Peru while I was on ayahuasca from a blood sugar episode occasioned by a pineapple Uh, and so that was a real big part of it and there was a lot of honey in the tea which I hadn't prepared myself for multiple times since then I've had what might be blood sugar crashes because I have hypoglycemia while tripping, which is, can be very frightening. Mm. Now, it might be psychosomatic because it feels like that, and then I spin out. Like perhaps if yeah. I had like a, a testing strip, then I'd be able to confirm or deny. But I had everything prepared to normalize my blood sugar just in case. But what I didn't realize is that this tea, when I started drinking, it was full of honey. So mm. I entered into the experience like, oh, shit. Because she makes it as a tea for us. Okay. I'm like, oh shit, it's going to be huge. Um, this is like my blood sugar is going to crash big time. And when it started to crash, I started to like spiral out really intensely with a lot of fear and a lot of uh, memories from that experience coming up. And even to one point, um, Jerry's partner was sitting with me and she was she was holding me. So funny, it was her first time and she was just like in bliss mode and it's my umpteenth time. I'm on the same dose and I'm spiraling out in fear and whatever doesn't and, get uh, easier like, no it doesn't so i'm kind of like sitting there i'm basically crying in her lap being like i don't want to die like i don't want to fucking die here i don't why do i this is not what i want i don't want to be sick i don't want to blah 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 yeah. and understandably so like why would i want to experience these things and all she could say to me afterwards she told me she had no idea what to do so she just pat my head and said everything is beautiful and this is what's interesting for me because, you know, there's this, there's this prioritization in psychedelic culture that says, you know, oh, if this comes up, you need to surrender onto your own death. You need to just let it happen, let it happen, let it happen. Now, I'm not sure where I stand on that at this point. Um, and by I'm not sure, I mean, I don't even know if I want to talk about it because my ideas aren't clear yet. But in that moment, yeah. I was, okay, I'm thinking about the work of Stephen Jenkinson. Okay. He's a guy that been reading a lot then yeah reading a lot now still and just interviewed for the show coming out in a month or so uh and his idea is that it is possible 
not to die, which is to say that it is possible to resist um, the active verb, the active choice of dying, and to instead resist and resist and resist until you are killed by whatever ails you, hmm. which is different because it's not the active engagement of dying. So I thought to myself, all right, and I've been thinking about how, okay, so then I want to start I want to start developing my dying practice now, hopefully 30, 40, 50, 60 years before I'm at my terminal completion, that I've already been in the dying process. So I, I realize, all right, if this is it, if I'm going to die here right now, and there's, there's, a, there's a few options. One, this is just a bad trip, or this is just a very uncomfortable experience, and yeah. I'm making it work yeah. by whatever, freaking out. Or um, I am in serious medical risk right now and there's nothing that can be done. Uh, so, and I'm making it worse by freaking out right now. Yeah. Or I'm in a serious medical emergency and there's nothing that can be done. I'm going to die no matter what. Yeah. All three of these things, although I couldn't determine between which was true or truer, all three of these things basically said to me, you need to relax. And the only way I could think to relax is to surrender. So I said to myself, all right, let's just assume worst case scenario, I'm dying. Do I really want my last moments to be that of reeling in pain and suffering and fear? Mm. At some point, I have to let go. And yeah. so I just said, okay, I'll try to go out with as much courage as I can. And I just surrendered onto my own death. At which point I did not die. <laughs> I went into an incredibly beautiful space mm. for the length of time I can't imagine uh, or that I can't describe until um, Jerry's partner had to get up and do something. She was like called back in. And then all of a sudden I was reeling again. It was like everything was all anxious and I felt nauseous and this and that. And, um, and, at that point, I was like, okay, I just need to trust. I just need to trust. Just yeah. relax. Just surrender. You know, okay. So maybe you are. Maybe you're not. Whatever. Just relax into the experience. Uh, so the first one, I guess, was to relax and surrender onto my own death. Um, and I have since practiced that when I'm like lying down for a nap or something. Or even I had a severe heat stroke after hiking all day in Squamish without a hat and without proper water a couple months ago. Yeah. And just surrendering into pain relaxing into pain and just being like, okay, well, just let it, let it be like, okay. there's nothing I can do. Just be more uh, mindful. Yeah. 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 Or, or, or I've just been practicing what it's like. What if I, what if lying here is my last moments? How could I surrender onto my death lying mm. here right now? So practice a little bit, you know, when it's not as frightening as when it will be real one yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's one. The other one, <laughs> The other one was, uh, oh man, this story. I, I'm not going to tell the story in full detail because it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, okay. I, I wonder I wonder how the guys would feel about about this story because like it was all something that was happening to me in what I perceived to be my personal private space inside of the cabin, underneath my blanket. My personal private space underneath the blanket. Uh, everyone else is having their personal private space. I'm under the, my blanket doing my thing, but I at some point. Uh, had been taken now this is i'm just going to describe what i experienced it's not coming with any claim to um 
external agency of the thing. There's no metaphysical claims here. It's just what I experienced. I was taken to another dimension in a way, and I had entered into a crystalline palace of light and shape Mm. and geometry where I was being educated by these other or higher dimensional entities on the art of love and pleasure. And it was absolutely fucking amazing. Uh, Until until at some point I was like, okay, I got to take my pants off. I got to take my pants off. And then they were like, don't take your pants off. And I was like, no, it's my private space. I'm under my own (laughs) little blanket. I can do what I want. So I did it. And then as soon as I did it, it started to go away. It just started to leave. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. And they're like, we told you not to take your pants off. You should have listened. And then it was over. And I'm like, Uh... ah. (laughs) So that was the second one. Um, It actually, Julie and I had some really great conversations afterwards about love and making love and um, and like the power, the power of it. And save that. I don't know how much of his story or how much of what and I shared he wants public, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, Then the third thing, there was more, but this is the third thing. Yeah. I am feeling clear. I've I've surrendered onto my own death. I'm still feeling nauseous, but I'm no longer frightened that I'm going to die, like spin out and vomit to my death, like what happened through nearly. Uh, And my encounters with the sex entities are over. And... I decide to go for a little walk. We're on a cabin on the side of a hill. And uh, it's actually a really beautiful little cabin. It's a really beautiful hill. We're like yeah. way up southern Mexican mountains. Is that night nighttime? Nighttime. Yeah. And it just so happened to be the day after or the yeah, the day after the, the peak of the full moon. Wow. And I walk out and now the moon is at its highest height in the sky. And as I step away, I can basically see the entire valley because it's so brightly lit and everything has that silver shimmering, you know, like shadows and shadows at midnight kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I look to, you know, I look in front of me, there's all these plants and like I see the valley and the moon is super high in the sky and I'm still on the mushroom. So it's got this beautiful lattice work emanating from the, the glow of, uh, of the moonlight coming off the moon and into the sky. And, to my right is the cabin and it's like hanging there and these like beautiful Bergmansia trees are just draping over it on the side of this mountain. And there's this incredible garden that wow. I can see. It sounds majestic and it as is, fuck. <laughs> oh, it's actually majestic as fuck. It was yeah. the most, perhaps one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Here's the thing. I'm standing there. I'm in Mexico. I'm living this, this thing that I've desired to do for so long. And I realize that I have no one to share it with. Mm. This is so profound and so beautiful and so meaningful. And yet there is nobody. I'm standing out here all by myself. And though there are people inside and we get along, there are certain, I didn't feel like they could relate, that I could relate to their experience of this or that they would relate to my experience of this because there wasn't that intimacy of friendship that comes when well, it's an unfair statement. I feel really like really close friends with Julian, or reasonably close friends with Julian. But yeah. there wasn't that sense of like my brothers. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Brothers yeah. and sisters in my life, right? Um, 
and it just felt incredibly lonely. And I thought there are some things in life that are just so beautiful and so wondrous that it's almost a shame to experience them alone. Yeah. And I wondered, you know, as incredible as this experience is, you know, what's the point of just continuing to leave and having these incredible, profound experiences that I don't share with anyone? Yeah. And that was a really big thing for me to consider. Now, it also came with like, okay, so then how do I share it? Well, I realized I share it through story. Mm. I share it in my writing. I share it in, um, like right now I'm sharing it with you in, 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 in oral storytelling, right? Um, so those are, the, those are the three. You know, one, it's like surrender, have courage, surrender onto my own death was one thing. Um, relax and surrender. The other one was like... Uh, relax, she'll be right, mate. Just yeah, it. right. <laughs> It'll be fine. Uh, and then the other one was um, just encounters with like extreme pleasure and what it means to embrace pleasure uh, and to make love. And then the third was um, about beauty and aloneness and sh- and some things um, being so beautiful that the true weight of their majesty cannot be held by one person alone, which is paraphrasing Stephen Jenkins. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that sounds fucking really profound, man. Sounds like a... So was it just the one uh, ceremony that you did in Mexico? Yes, actually. Mushroom? At one point, that, that that morning before the hike, we did, or before the trip, we hiked up to the top of this mountain to a, a Zapotec sacred site. Yeah. And while up there, um, there was the opportunity to smoke toad up on the top of this mountain, which I imagine is like actually one of the best opportunities it's like it's right there it's being it's being gifted to me in that moment yeah um because we're all there as like equals and friends and and guests uh, of jerry and um and he's willing to hold the space he's a very experienced facilitator and on a on an ego trip level here i am up on the mountain with these like these psychedelic luminaries i mean that's a total ego that's what's running through my head and like this is one hell of an opportunity but the reality is that i wasn't ready Mm. and I have no shame no. over not being ready. I know that I went to Mexico to I went to Mexico to eat mushrooms. I did not go to Mexico to smoke toad. Yeah. And I knew that and there was some toying around with it, but then when it when push came to shove, that's not what I wanted to do and I had nothing to prove to myself and nothing to prove to those guys although I didn't feel like they wanted me to prove anything to them no. that was all eternal um, so I, I didn't smoke the toad but uh, they did um, okay. Julian Julian and Kalindi yeah, yeah. well yeah so there, I think it's there important was other as, oh sorry I just want to please it's just the point you did before it's, uh, it's important not to take psychedelics out of ego and do it because yeah. it feels right. And I've done psychedelics out of ego, and it never ends well. Not yeah. once. <laughs> Not Completely once. Completely agree. Completely agree. Yeah, exactly. And well, I got to. I want to talk about a little bit more about mushrooms because I was decomposing the shadow. Sorry, what's the title? Sorry, man. My my. It's, it's really it's okay. late at it's... night. What's the title of your first book? Yeah, yeah, it's almost like one thirty in the morning for you there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's called Decomposing the Shadow, Lessons from the Psilocybin okay. Mushroom. So it's like Decomposing the Shadow. So I want to know, what is your relationship with psilocybin mushrooms? Do you find it 
What is the differences? Do you find that there are profound differences between each substance or it just depends on the person? Like, do you, do you think they have their own personality to it? Like, let's say, I don't know, San Pedro is better for life direction or uh, ayahuasca is better for healing trauma. Or like, do you, this is an example. Like, do you find anything like that? Like one substance is better for this particular thing or is it just all, just depends on you? I, I think that it depends on a, variety of factors certain substances are i believe more inclined towards certain things yeah and then wielded um will either uh, amplify that inclination or um or or or, um, depress that inclination and then each one has a variety of different things that it can achieve for sure uh as for personality obviously there's there's different there's a unique set of experiential characteristics to each different substance which moving through the human system takes on a sense of personality because we anthropomorphize things Um, and of course it also has a sense of externalized agency because it's a it's a change in our experience that is being occasioned by an exogenous trigger and so it's we can interact with that sense of external agency or you know spirit um, and check out the different qualities and have a psychologically and spiritually meaningful engagement with that, with that change in, in our, in our subjective experience. Um, and so, yeah, there's different characteristics. I mean, there's, there's a very obvious difference, for example, between, uh, drinking ayahuasca, uh, and eating mescaline. Yeah. Right? At the entheogenic doses, like the, ex- like the very, very high doses I think it would be difficult to differentiate because they're all, they'll all have the same potency. Yeah. You know, at, at, at 300, 300, 400 micrograms of LSD is going to be like probably pretty similar in, in how discombobulated you become to, you know, 10 or 11 grams of mushrooms Yeah. or, you know, like a nice big dose of ayahuasca. Like they'll all still have their different characteristics, but each of them will likely, um, make you very horizontal <laughs> and take you away from uh, from identification uh, with your external physical environment in a prioritization of your inner subjective experience. Oh, yeah. Uh, so specifically about decomposing the shadow in mushrooms, my premise with that book, like the thesis, is within a certain dose range engaged in a specific way or a generally specific way, certain things can be achieved. And the things that can be achieved is the uh, uncovering uh, or the dissolution of psychological defense mechanisms, mm-hmm. the kinds that I mentioned were employed um, during trauma. Yeah. The ones that are being employed to <clears throat> hold in what at the time I called past emotional repression. Yeah. Um, things that we have been shown to, forced to, or chosen to suppress about who we are feelings that we didn't feel, even traumas that we didn't finish, all of which influence our personality. And each time we push, reject, dissociate, um, repress, or um, what's the other one, or whatever, each time we push away something authentic, we become a little bit more inauthentic, and it becomes unconscious. We're subconsciously inauthentic. We're just ourselves. Mm. But um, it creates a a false or illusory allure 
to what's happening. It alters the stories that we tell ourselves about why, what, uh, about the world around us, which can be somewhat dysfunctional. So, uh, and lead us to, for example, depression or despair or, um, or anxiety or really dysfunctional behaviors in our relationships or, or an, an incapacity to, to do things that feel good. There yeah. could be a lot uh, that hold us that hold us back because of this and that with mushrooms, it dissolves the defenses and allows all the unfelt emotions to come up while encouraging us in the process to just let it all out. And while letting it all out, provide a sense of insightfulness as to why we're feeling that, where it comes from, what it might mean, and how we can be, and how we can move forward after that, uh, in a positive way with these, you know, like insights yeah. that we get this no, this noetic quality. Um, and my premise there is that this this can happen if the set is correct, which is like you've prepared yourself to be feeling things out, that you've prepared yourself not to attach to the to the superficial aspects. Of the of the experience, merely the aesthetics, or merely what you're seeing yeah. and believing that the metaphorical thought play is exactly what it is, rather than representative of a deeper emotional process within the self. Like setting yourself upright, being in a safe place uh, where you can really let yourself move through what you're going through, and uh, then the dose would be somewhere between enough that you are all the way there, and you don't have to try. Yeah. Um, but not so much that you are overwhelmed and beyond, but, and like so much that you're just like dissociating. Yeah. So for me that depending on the dose, that's anywhere between two and four and a half, four grams. Okay. Um, so you find, do you find the five grams is a bit unnecessary? Uh, I didn't say just, unnecessary. It was, was just for you. It just, was just for you. Well, that's just if, if it's leaning towards that particular quality of experience. Okay. Because the higher you dose, the more dissociated from your normal sense of self you become. Yeah. And the type of work that I'm pre presenting here is the kind of work that refines your sense of self and requires your sense of self, story, history, um, context in order to process. If you dose too far away from that, then fuck you can have some incredibly interesting experiences i mean mm. listen listen to lindy Yee on, on on one of my episodes like he goes to some very interesting places on 30 yeah. and 40 grams right and not that like there's no it's not that those things aren't useful i mean it's it's very it, they're they have a use but i'm talking specifically about this this bracket to achieve the goal yeah of what i call psycho spiritual maturation mm. and the resolution of uh, past emotional repression to become a more it's a it's a bit of a trite word nowadays or complicated but a more authentic expression of yourself a healthier version of you yeah well, like you said it depends on your goal and what you want to do with it um have you ever had would you would you ever do 30 40 grams uh you know when i hang out with kalindi or the few times that i've i've, I've hung out with kalindi i think three three times okay um and each time i hang out with kalindi I feel like I want to eat more mushrooms. And when we've had, we've had conversations too, after conversations, I'm like, I feel like I want to eat more. Yeah. Um, but then after a period of time goes by and I'm no longer in his presence, I'm less and less likely to want to go there. Yeah. But um, I, I, I would be lying if I said to you 
that I have no interest in going deep. Yeah. Probably not 30 or 40 grams deep, but like the, like he's worked himself up to that, but the equivalent of that intensity from my experience, which might be five or six grams or something, something mm. larger. Yeah. Um, but I have no, I have no current inclination to yeah. go there at this time just yet. Yeah. Because I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at. I got a lot of responsibilities under play. I'm about to move into my own house, actually. Oh, really nice. With the, with the goal of funding it exclusively on creative entrepreneurship, which you can imagine is a lofty fucking goal. Um, and I'm not even close. I'm not even close yet. And this is like, I pay. I pay rent. Like I pay my first like. I pay my deposit or my last month's rent, and, uh, which is like a thousand dollars in four days, and Fuck. it's like. Last thing I need is some major psychedelic experience to completely um, uproot what I'm doing. And I have this, all yeah. these goals for writing yeah. and all this stuff. So, so it's like context too. Yeah. Well, it can, it can happen yeah. because like yeah. my last traumatic trip, it completely set me back for many, many months. And it definitely interfered mm-hmm. with a lot of my work, especially because like if, if everything's meaningless, it's like, oh, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of this? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. 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 You're like uh, you're just like a clown da- dancing, you know, like a, a little marionette dancing on the stage of nothingness. Yeah, right? exactly. except it's digital video, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, well, this is what I do now. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, that that's that that's it. Um, I mean, decomposing the shadow was um, is my approach to that concept in the fullest expression of it at that time. Yeah. And I'm happy to say that the majority of what I wrote in that book at that time, over time, and this could be confirmation bias, I've learned how deep a lot of those things go, even though I didn't understand how deep they went and how much further investigation there is around those concepts. And there's a couple pieces. uh, There's one specific piece that, in hindsight, I see as a limitation that I should have explored. Um... The limitation is I made it too much about the self mm. without considering, uh, which is a part of what it is, but without making it very clear that none of this really means anything if you don't have a community that you're participating in expressing these changes within. Yes. So yes. Finding um, a tribe. Exactly. Mm. Or, or, or just par- participating in where you are. It's not always easy with with our conventional, like we talked about earlier, people having their stigmas around mental illness and drug use and et cetera. Uh, and then that was a very clinical academic book, you know, the mushroom experience, psychological models, yeah. et cetera. And then I wrote a second one that complemented it, which was taking all of those ideas and then playing them out in real time, telling stories of my own dark psychedelic experiences okay. and how I got there uh, and how I went through it. Which is another part of decomposing the shadow I didn't mention. There's a very, very strong prioritization of going through the uncomfortable aspects in a positive way mm. rather than rejecting them and creating anxiety, bad, quote, bad trips yeah. and trauma. Okay. Um, I know, so how long have we gone? Now, I actually wanted to ask you your personal belief systems on what the fuck is psychedelics? <laughs> Do you believe oh. that the... Because I, I oscillate between belief systems. I'm like, now I'm like, I just go to, I don't even know. I don't even know anymore. I'm not even going to try to try to figure it out. But I want to know, like, do you believe that these, these things are like sentient entities or like some sort of intelligence or 
do you think that it's just purely just a projection from our mind or like well, what are your thoughts on these on these substances there's a really there's a lot to unpack there um it depends on the angle right yeah. if i if i come from an angle of my normal baseline reality and the physical parameters that i can assess and what i can see in the commonalities of perception uh, established in baseline focused on physical parameters then i would say that most of it is just flights of fancy that's expressions of our own subconscious which mm. is confusing and mysterious and chaotic and interesting and maybe frightening uh if i were, but i think that that's a very limited view because it it excludes finding ways to understand the poetry then there's questions of like well then if those aren't real, how do I know that this is real? How do I know that my what I experience as my baseline is real? Yeah. Know, am I just, you know, like what did Jim Carrey say? Just that, uh, you know, free frequencies of energy, like waves of energy dancing onto itself, uh, or dancing for itself. Yeah. And if that's the case, then if if everything in my life right now is is not fully real, but I perceive it to be real, then to what degree is my experience in psychedelics real or not real? And then there's the other question of like, even if I don't go into that sense of I'm not real, what is to say that the, the organic, animate, living beings that I interact with by consuming, specifically we'll say plants and fungi, yeah. don't have a quality of intelligence that upon consuming them create a change but in, in, in their nutritional profile create a change in my inner subjective awareness that is an expression of their intelligence in a way that I can directly relate to it because I've become too uh, domesticated to be able to you know use my heart as an organ of perception to enter the forest space and interact with the smells and feelings and sensations mm. and whatever to communicate with the plants and have them educate me so maybe there's that maybe it's plant communication and the, the, so all of that being said, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, and, and the point is, and this is something that I need to, I need to get over. And I just hosted a talk here in Kitchener about death and dying. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> skill of sadness, the art of dying with a, a colleague and a friend of mine named Olenka who studies with Stephen Jenkinson. And, um, we talked about the addiction to competence and this, need to understand things and i struggle with that i've got a hardcore addiction to competence hardcore addiction yeah. to mastery and some sometimes very dysfunctional perfectionism habits of like i, I gotta get it done i, gotta I can, get it done. I can awesome. relate it's got me in a lot of trouble that's why i, I, I want to go deeper <laughs> i want to go deeper in the rabbit hole and figure out what this whole thing's about but then you right, figure right, out that the rabbit hole point. is never ending <laughs> right because the mystery will always be a mystery yeah and Though I find yeah. a lot of value in unpacking things and discovering new things and, and, and illuminating things and, and, and et cetera, at the same time, mystery with a capital M will always be mystery. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I think it's completely okay to say, I don't know, yeah. but I'm having a lot of bewildering fun exploring how unknowing this whole thing is. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's, it's fun to talk about. It's fun to try to figure it out and play this game. Um, yeah, and like you said, this mystery, maybe, I don't think we're ever going to figure it out. Maybe upon death, maybe not, who knows? <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, if, if not then. But I think it's like, 
it's like truth as well. And as soon as you try to you label and put into words, you've already lost it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, possibly. I think it is possible if, no, this is like, now we're going to get into this stuff where it's like, <laughs> I don't know, but actually I have ideas. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right. So I think about things like uh, truth with a capital T, you know, M with a capital mystery, yeah, G yeah, with yeah. A ca- or God with a capital G yeah. kind of thing. And I believe it to be um, I like to explore and have a tendency to believe it to be a feeling state. Yeah. Truth is a, well, is a feeling state. It's what Buddhism, and, but Buddhism actually talks about this. They say like absolute truth cannot be spoken. Otherwise, as soon as you speak, it can be you can have relative truth and partial truth, but absolute truth. Mm-hmm can only be experienced yeah right right and i didn't i didn't realize that was a that was a buddhist thing so that's how i that's how i think about it but i do also believe that it is possible to speak words Mm -hmm. that occasion a sense of absolute truth in another yeah i'm not speaking absolute truth because i think that's impossible yeah because it only just sounds but i think it is possible to occasion it, a sense of it in another person. They can be pointers, like, you know, like partial truth that can send you to the general direction. Yeah. Yeah, but whether or not I'm actually capable of doing that, well, maybe I have my moments, but I I don't actually. I think anyone who believes that they can do it might uh, might be megalomaniac, but at the same time, it's unreasonable to think that everyone is as lost and curious and unsure about the nature of existence as I am. Yeah, exactly. And I guess with maybe you, there are people no hey yeah maybe, maybe there exactly are. who knows like be like you you got your Jesuses and all those kind of people who knows yeah Jesus Krishna Buddha who else all those guys. <laughs> Muhammad that's, that's another you, one. I don't know about Muhammad as far as I understand the history of that is he might be a it's like everyone have you seen South Park there's um the super best friends. Have you seen that episode? No, oh, anyway. I haven't seen it. Okay, anyway, there's like these super organizations. They're like the Avengers, but it's all the um, religious figures like Jesus, Muhammad. But <laughs> 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 well, yeah, South Park okay. got in trouble because it's like, hey, you guys can't draw Muhammad, you know? They're like, yeah, apparently it's a, a big no-no. It, it, it really is. Um... <laughs> but they still did it out of principle it's like either everything's okay to make fun of or nothing is and i i agree with that philosophy i i think so too actually it's very interesting especially and, and maybe this is we're getting totally off topic but and maybe let's come to a close but yeah. i find it very interesting that um even in a liberal society certain things aren't allowed to be criticized yeah and so for example um islam is not okay to be criticized and I understand that the problem is as soon as people start criticizing Islam, it immediately becomes entirely too familiar for intolerance and um, and and the kind of well, just like the kind of shit that's happening in the United States right now. Yeah. Like it, it becomes too close to that kind of intolerance and that kind of racial prejudice. Uh, I guess it's more cultural prejudice because Islam is not a race; it's a it's a culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But. Um, but there is reason to criticize aspects of it. It should be okay to say, well, like, you know, like, let's unpack this a little bit. Um, but uh, but it, can, it can be problematic, and it is interesting. Like you said, it's like every, either everything needs to be able to be criticized or nothing at all. And if nothing at all is able to be criticized, then we're in deep, deep trouble. Yeah, exactly. So we have to choose that everything is open for criticism. Yeah. But then again, that's coming from me. I come from a, a secular-based 
world and even in my secular secularism is emergent from Christianity. And one of the fundamental beliefs of Christianity is that the Bible is inspired by the word of God written by man. Mm-hmm. And so it's open for interpretation. But if I, for example, came from a, a Islamic based country, then one of the fundamental beliefs of Islam is that the Quran, which is their central text, is not inspired Uh, written by man, inspired by God, it is the voice of God speaking to you. So there is no interpretations, Mm. right? Obviously there is, because there's different forms of Islam. Not not all Islam is Islamism, which is a militarized stuff. Like some of it is actually very beautiful and really deeply focused on um, an intelligent learning of spirituality and becoming a good person in this world, etc. But some of it is Islamism. Some of it is very militant, right? So, but... Yeah, so that that's just the thing. I, I didn't mean to get on a bit of soapbox there, but yes, everything should be able to be <laughs> okay. criticized. Everything should be able to be made fun of, and everything should be questioned a little bit deeper. I yeah. I, I really, really believe that. Only in this podcast, we start going from psilocybin mushrooms to Islam. <laughs> but then there's Israel. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm just yeah, that's okay. Like awesome, yeah. man. Well, I think it's time to call it. I think it's been fucking awesome, man. Like. You're welcome on any time. I think we should maybe do a sequel one day in the future. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate you taking the time to seek me out and a couple false starts over a few days. <laughs> yeah, we totally, yeah, we totally got it going. Yeah, man. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of your podcast and um, I've discovered a lot of guests that I never even heard of before. So, um, well, like Julian, he was literally my first podcast guest ever. Um, but it was very convenient that he was in Australia. I'm like, fucking, that would be awesome. Yeah. 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 There's some other interesting people out in Australia you might want to talk to. Get on me on the email and we'll. we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll keep in touch anyway. But um, is there anything, where can people find you? Is there anything that you're up to? Yeah. That you want people to so, check out? Uh, right off the bat, the easiest way to find anything that I'm doing is through jameswgesso.com, yeah. which is like a catalog of all the stuff I'm doing. My, my writing, a lot of my lectures are up there, uh, and my podcast is there. I also, um, on the side, I DJ bass music, so there's like a little tucked away in the website are yeah. some DJ bass music sets. Um, but yeah, writing, lectures, podcasts, um, and various smaller videos, which will be growing over time. All of it is jameswgesso.com. And if I'm on social media, it's jameswgesso, and um, all of which is freely available and like yourself, I have a Patreon, so um, people who are excited to support more than just you can yeah. uh, can go check me out as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. it's YouTube makes it very uh, difficult for content creators like, such as ourselves because as soon as yeah, the algorithm's completely against. Oh, but uh, especially drugs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, there's I have I have not released. I think out of like the I think I have like sixty videos on my YouTube now, and four or five of them are available for ad revenue. Every one of them is like, no, sorry, you're talking about drugs, so you don't get any ad revenue. And I'm not, I wasn't making much off ad revenue anyways. It's like anyone who thinks that you're going to make a milli off ad revenue. Yeah, on YouTube, but it's more of a principle. It's just, it's an, it's unfortunate because it's like, for example, I have a coca documentary, which is me taking it where it's legal actually. And it's not even mm-hmm. that much of a potent drug. That gets completely demonetized. I try to contact YouTube and they're like, no, nah, sorry, that's age restricted as well. But then I see a video on the sideline. It's like um, 15 shots in under one hour challenge. 
and then that's monetized and that's okay. And it's just, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what? But anyway, yeah, yeah. I can, I've ranted about it too many times. I think I'm just like, uh, whatever. <laughs> I've like, well, accepted thank- it now. thankfully Patreon is a thing yeah. uh, for both, both of our sakes because yeah, exactly. after, uh, I know that there are a lot of people out there in the world who are doing incredible things that because they're on the sidelines, they're on the fringe or they're in the underground, they're not getting funding from conventional um, revenue streams and yeah. Patreon is really that such as yourself or such as myself. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, awesome, man. Fucking really insightful chat. Um, glad you came on. I think I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good night, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm just like, I'm just like delirious now. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Awesome, dude. Awesome talking to you. All right. Catch Good you night. next time. Catch.